Hi, I'm Johanna Ferreira, content director of Pop Sugar Juntos. Juntos is all about celebrating Latin A culture, pride, our many intersectional identities, and joy. Thanks to support from Prime, there's so much to get into over at Juntos this month. From conversations with the Latin A minds behind our favorite new movies and resurrected TV shows, to thoughtful celebrity commentary, and exclusive interviews with some of the biggest Latin music artists today. And it doesn't stop there. Get more of the music, movies, and shopping you love on Prime. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more of whatever you're into from streaming to shopping. And get all of our latest coverage at PopSugar.com slash Juntos. Con amor, Johanna. Support for this show comes from Nine West. Winter's finally coming to a close, but you might still fall the very ground beneath your feet with the hottest new trends from Nine West. Nothing beats the confidence the perfect little piece can give you. And their new collections of footwear, apparel, and accessories will let you take on the world in style. Use their Need It Now Edit, also known as the Nine Edit, to search effortlessly through trends like Western-style boots, loafers, and more. It's time to wear our confidence, ladies. We can't be contained. Because this spring at Nine West, we are infinite. Buy now and get 15% off with code PODCAST24. He was very handsome. He had a um, beautiful mustache that he kept perfectly trimmed and uh, just had a lot of style. He had long legs and he never looked like he was in a hurry, but he walked faster than anybody else. It was impossible to keep up with him practically. This is David Goldman. He's talking about his friend Nelson Sullivan. They met in 1984 in New York City. You know, Nelson lived in this fantastically weird house that was this three-story, very rickety, sort of old, old, old house. And he took me up to the second floor, which is his living room, and we uh, drank a pot of coffee out of this uh, Faberware electric percolator that he had. And uh, he played for me the, what he said was the overture to an opera that he'd written about Galileo. It was mostly on the black keys of the piano and it sounded real spacey. And then we went out walking around all over the village, all over Midtown, and we ended up at the Empire State Building. Nelson took me all the way to the top of the Empire State Building and showed me his house from there. So uh, that was pretty cool. You know, he loved New York. Nelson really loved New York. Nelson moved to New York in 1971, as soon as he was done with college in North Carolina. He worked as a hairdresser, a cab driver, and a baker. And he eventually started working at a classical sheet music store and found a place to live in the meatpacking district. And this was in the days, in the 80s, sort of pre, pre-mega gentrification. So the meatpacking district was still a meatpacking district, you know. There was still carcasses being delivered and trucks pulling up. Fenton Bailey, one of Nelson's friends. But it was this gorgeous sort of industrial space with this single house sort of standing there. And I remember um, up on the second floor, Nelson had a piano and his kitchen and a huge oil painting of himself with his dog Blackout. And he found Blackout during the 1972 Blackout. Hence, he was called Blackout. He's a, a black lab called Blackout. At night, Nelson and his friends would go out to clubs downtown. By the early 80s, a lot of clubs in New York had become places to see art and performances, along with new music. And each 
had its own distinct personality. The Mud Club was an art gallery, punk venue, and salon. Club 57 was a dance club that also had monster movie nights on Tuesdays. And the Limelight was a former church and still had stained glass windows and rafters. Nelson and his friends liked the Pyramid Club, known for drag performances and punk bands, where Nelson's friends sometimes performed. One day in 1983, Nelson got a video camera and started filming his friends when they went out. His friend David Goldman remembers that when Nelson walked into a room, you noticed the camera right away. Nelson was working with a shoulder-held camera and a battery pack and a carrying thing on his side. So it's very heavy equipment, very unusual. You hardly ever saw anybody with video equipment back then. He took the camera out almost every night. In one of his nightclub videos, you can catch a glimpse of Nelson as he passes a mirror. He's in the dressing room filming his friends getting ready to go on stage and drag. Nelson squeezes in with the camera on his shoulder. He looks like a one-man TV news crew. Most of the time, Nelson filmed people in places downtown, where artists like Keith Haring and Jean-Michel Basquiat were becoming big names. Art critic Carlo McCormick has said, All these people came downtown because they were different. They were ostracized and alienated from this normal America. It was this great sort of fertilization of things, and it was radical, um, but it wasn't really anti-establishment in the way that punk before it had been in the 70s. There was a real sense of, let's do something and let's make it. Fenton Bailey. Those people on the margins, those artists on the margins, had had enough of being on the margins and were doing work that deserved to be seen and were real drivers of popular culture. And so Nelson, I think, was unique in having the vision to recognize that. And I think that's why he got out of video camera. That's why he started taping it, because he really felt that something was going on that needed to be documented. Plus, he loved it. I'm Phoebe Judge, and this is Love. Nelson just hit record and let it play and just let whatever madness might ensue occur. This is archivist Robert Coddington. He just wanted to record his friends and the things he loved. That was his M.O. Nobody was doing that then. Nobody had cell phones. My parents never had a movie camera or whatever. This is Kenan Raines, another one of Nelson's friends. She used to bartend at the Pyramid Club, and she performed poetry every week there for years. She remembers that at first, being filmed by Nelson's camera felt strange. It was awkward. It was hard not to feel like, oh, somebody's put a camera on me. I've got to be a performer now. I've got to try to be interesting. You know, and so sometimes people did seem a little overly chatty or overly just contrived, you know? And it, a lot of us at different times would say, oh God, Nelson, turn that off. Because it felt like it was hard to just be yourself. But he just was persistent and he just did his thing. And eventually we got used to it 
and forgot about it, and eventually we began to be ourselves. In some of Nelson's videos, you can see people who had become household names. He filmed RuPaul's first show at the Pyramid and Keith Haring's New Year's Eve party. There are videos of drag queens lip-syncing to Gloria Gaynor and Patti LaBelle. There's one video of a surprise hair-dyeing party at Nelson's apartment. Eventually, Nelson got a hernia from carrying around his heavy camera all the time. His brother got him a new 8mm camera. It was much smaller. It only weighed about 3 pounds. And because it was so small, Nelson could turn the camera on himself. And that was when he developed this extraordinary technique where he would hold this camera, usually with a fisheye lens, out his very long arm. And the subject became himself and whatever was around him. So people who came up and talked to him, what he was looking at, of course, he would show you other things, but he became the narrator of his own life story. We'll be right back. Support for this show comes from Nine West. Winter's finally coming to a close, but you might still fall the very ground beneath your feet with the hottest new trends from Nine West. Nothing beats the confidence the perfect little piece can give you. And their new collections of footwear, apparel, and accessories will let you take on the world in style. Use their Need It Now Edit, also known as the Nine Edit, to search effortlessly through trends like Western-style boots, loafers, and more. It's time to wear our confidence, ladies. We can't be contained, because this spring at Nine West, we are infinite. Buy now and get 15% off with code PODCAST24. Calling all female runners, it's time to lace up and join Team Milk. Since the 2022 New York City Marathon, Team Milk has sponsored female marathon runners nationwide, providing support and shining a spotlight on their unique stories, perseverance, and drive to go the distance. Why milk? Dairy milk is an excellent nutritional ad for both marathon training and recovery. Milk contains 13 essential nutrients, including high-quality protein, making it a crucial component of a training diet. Plus, it's one of the best beverages for hydration, even better than water. The same electrolytes that are added to many of your favorite sports drinks are found naturally in milk. And in 2024, Team Milk is taking the next step to empower female runners by launching the only women's marathon in the U.S. designed for and by women. Built to be accessible, empowering, and community building, the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon will take place in Savannah, Georgia on November 16, 2024. You can learn more and register for the marathon at everywomansmarathon.com. Nelson Sullivan shot over 1,100 hours of footage between 1983 and 1989. He didn't just tape nightclub things and people performing in nightclubs and theater. David Goldman, Nelson's friend. He taped these long walks with his dog early in the morning, you know, where you can watch these tapes. It's Nelson and Blackout out there for a stroll, and uh, they're so calm and beautiful to see this city just waking up. Nelson often holds the camera low, just behind Blackout's tail, so the whole video looks like a dog's eye view of the city. When Nelson turned the camera on himself, 
He would talk about what he was going to do to an invisible audience. There are videos of him walking to the grocery store after a night out. He's often with friends. In one video, they buy flowers. In another, they're hailing a cab. Nelson once filmed himself waiting for a flight at the airport, looking for magazines at a newsstand. Later, he tours the bathroom. The videos look like they could have been made today for Instagram or YouTube, but Nelson was just doing it for himself. There's one tape of Nelson walking over to his friend Kenan Raines' house for dinner. When he gets there, everyone is crammed around a tiny table next to the stove where Kenan is cooking. And, you know, it was such a humble little dinner party, I think. I just had enough money to scrape together, enough to make a big pot of sauce, and the noodles were cheap. And I, we could bake the cake in those days for about three bucks. And I didn't even have a bottle of wine on the table. But, you know, it was about six or eight people came over, and, and it was just like those little simple moments. You know, he was always making you feel like he was couldn't desire to be with anybody more than you in that moment. That camera really helped you not only feel like somebody thought you deserved to be validated in what you were doing, but then when you would see yourself and he would play these for you or have you over to his house to show them to you, you could see what your performance was like on stage. You could see what your natural interview self was like on just, you know, running into him on the street. He was a nonstop, pleasant paparazzi. He wasn't out to embarrass anybody with his work. Everything that he did with his camera was to capture something that he thought was beautiful or funny or iconic or charming and to help people notice something wonderful in life. One afternoon, one weekend, Nelson came over with his camera, just hanging out. And we all walked back to his apartment from the East Village, from our apartment in Alphabet City. We walked all the way across town to his house. And he was videotaping the whole way. And when we got there, <laughs> he took out the tape, put it in, played it, and we all watched it. <laughs> we all watched back the tape of us walking across town. You know, my favorite tapes to watch and show people are the ones that I'm in, not because I want people to look at me, but because I can say, look, there's our house, and that was my Cadillac, and look at our dogs, you know? Like, it's, it's a beautiful sort of a, a time tunnel. I remember once he said, you know, we need, to, we need to make more tapes of our loved ones because if we don't, when they're gone, we're going to get tired of watching the same tapes over and over again. And he was sort of making a joke, but I think he was sort of sincere too. Uh, you know, AIDS is not in the tapes. And yet it's in every tape because people were having all this outrageous fun at night because they couldn't change what was happening in the daytime. They couldn't unhear what they had heard when they picked up the phone that day and they got a report on somebody. You know, it was really, um, I think it was a grim and scary time. I was in Atlanta and it was a very traumatic time and I know it was worse in New York. In 1981, the New York Times reported that 41 gay men in New York and California had been diagnosed with a rare and often rapidly fatal form of cancer. The next year, researchers began calling it Acquired Immunodeficiency Disease, or AIDS. In New York City, Mayor Ed Koch was criticized for being slow to take action in response to the crisis, 
and not doing enough to promote risk reduction or to educate the public. Because so little was known about how the disease spread, some people were fired from their jobs when they tested positive. Doctors often wouldn't treat patients, and friends and family wouldn't visit. Terry Sherman, a DJ who worked the nightclub scene in the 80s, said that the mood in New York and the clubs changed after AIDS. He said that friends of people who had died or were sick stopped coming because it was too painful to go to a place with so many memories of the fun times they had enjoyed with their friends or lovers. In 1987, a quarter of all AIDS cases in the country were in New York City. A lot of people were getting sick and disappearing, and it was a very present thing. At the same time, I think that presence of AIDS and that appalling amount of government indifference really drove people to express themselves and to create what they created even more. In the sense that we will not be victims, we will not be ignored. There was a tremendous amount of creativity. There was a sort of rage of creativity that was just an explosion. Nelson caught the magic. He was like this big butterfly net, and he just caught all these incredibly beautiful, creative butterflies of people that, you know gave themselves permission to have fun during a terrible epidemic of AIDS. And yet we still got out there and had fun and created and wore costumes and made friends and and celebrated life every day. I think that he almost, in religious terms, he almost had like a burden for this videotaping project that he undertook beginning in 1983. He sort of felt more and more like he should be taping more and more things. And of course, the videotapes began to take up a, a lot of room in the house. And he, he wasn't sure what he wanted to do with them. Nelson sent tapes to his childhood best friend, Dick Richards in Atlanta, to air on Dick's public access show, The American Music Show. It was known for celebrating queer culture at a time when other shows didn't. Dick Richards described Nelson as a portraitist. He said that Nelson taped because he wanted to. He very much respected the artists who were his friends, was intrigued by the oddities of life, and was in awe of being in New York. In 1989, Nelson quit his job at the music store to compile all his videos into a TV show for a public access channel in New York. But just a few days later, on July 4th, Nelson died from a heart attack. In his last video, he's walking to the Hudson River with his dog and a friend. It's one of Fenton Bailey's favorite videos of Nelson. And the sun was setting, and it was just so peaceful. And watching that tape back, it's hard to watch that tape without feeling that Nelson knew it was his last night on Earth. and. Every time I watch it, it just, you know, I get goosebumps because there was, and it's sad, yes, it makes me teary-eyed, but at the same time, he was so peaceful. He was so content in that moment. 
Um, gosh, I wish, you know, when all our time comes that it could be like that, you know? It was, it was really beautiful. And that, so that's a memory of Nelson. And it, I wasn't even there, but I saw that tape and I, knowing Nelson as, as I did, as I was honored to do, it was just so him. It was the essence of him. It was a, a, just an incredibly terrible shock. David Goldman, who is Dick Richards' husband. Dick left quickly to go over and be there for Mrs. Sullivan and the family and to show respect in the, in the old-time way. Um, there was a funeral for Nelson, and two carloads of us from Atlanta went over for it. Um, and very quickly after that, Dick um, began his plan to rescue the tapes. We'll be right back. After Nelson Sullivan's death, his best friend, Dick Richards, was immediately concerned about Nelson's tapes. He wanted to make sure his friend's work was cared for. He flew up to uh, New York and boxed up all the tapes and shipped them back to our house in Atlanta. So these, you know, many, many boxes of tapes started to arrive at the house in Atlanta. And we put them into the spare bedroom that was already sort of Dick's uh, studio where he had his uh, uh, video equipment set up. What did you think when when all of these tapes arrived? Was it an overwhelming amount of footage? It was an overwhelming amount of boxes. <laughs> You know, we had we had to make a space for them, and and uh, you know, I was really glad. Of course, very glad that he got them. Very glad that they didn't fall fall into ruin or or get picked apart, which might have been the thing that would have happened. I think if he hadn't have acted to to save them, people would have probably, you know, with all good intentions, would have probably come over and said, "Oh, that was my birthday party," and and gotten that tape, you know, and taken it away. Um, so we were happy to have them you know, there, but then the question becomes, what are you going to do with this? And in a way, it's sort of the same thing that confronted Nelson. What what are we going to do with this? And so Dick began to watch the tapes. And and they were all labeled, you know, Pyramid Club and the date or whatever, but it it wasn't there wasn't a, like a catalog that went along with it or or anything to show what was on every tape. So Dick started, that was the first step, was to watch the tapes and start marking what's on what, you know. It took Dick six months to go through Nelson's videos. He would sit in there by himself watching these tapes and laugh and laugh and laugh. In the early 90s, David and his husband Dick met a man named Robert Coddington through a friend. Robert had been a fan of Dick's public access show, Dick invited him to come visit. I walk in with my camera, and the first thing Dick says to me is, oh, look, it's another Nelson. And I'm just kind of looking at him, not understanding. Um, and while we're at the house, we stayed there for the week, uh, shot the show, and Dick showed me Nelson's archive. And it was a room in his house in Atlanta, and there was about 600 tapes, different formats, VHS, 8mm, uh, and I, over the course of the 90s, I would just make a yearly trek down and just watch Nelson's tapes. In 2006, Robert moved into Dick's guest bedroom 
so that he could spend time converting the tapes to digital files. He remembers there were so many tapes stored in the room that they were stacked eight feet high along the wall. The only things in the room besides the tapes were a bed and editing equipment. Robert and Dick started to put together highlights of Nelson's videos and began to post them on YouTube. I do think that Dick sort of saw what he and Robert were doing as giving Nelson the show that Nelson would have done had he stayed alive. I mean, his tapes are so infectious, uh, I just went after it. And there is a point where, because I was, I was a musician, professional, uh, doing, you know, commercial uh, music. Uh, and I got to the point that I realized that it was, it seemed more important to save his work than to continue with mine. Uh, I thought I can use my talents as, you know, being an editor and a musician. Uh, that would be more useful to, to Nelson because he wasn't around anymore. And Dick decided I was the one to do it because my passion uh, for doing it. You know, I, I came along at the right place and time, and, you know, I've been doing it ever since. Robert has dedicated the past 30 years to working on Nelson's archive. Nelson's videos have been seen over 25 million times since Dick and Robert started the YouTube channel, there are new comments on the videos almost every day. He's in his mind, knows that what he's shooting is important. He just hasn't figured out how it's going to be presented or why it's important. It's such a simple technique. Um, I think a lot of that reaches out to people and it gives a slice of life that the historians yearn for because you, you can't get that now. Watching his videos is very much like time travel. The way that he tapes, you just feel like you're there. What Nelson created was a sort of body of work that really captured a community, a scene, a, a moment in time. And I think a, a moment in time that people will return to again and again and again to kind of understand where we are now culturally. Because I think that so many of the people in that scene, well, many of them hadn't didn't survive, but many of them gone on to make enormous cultural contributions and really shape the culture. In 2012, Dick and Robert got Nelson's collection archived at New York University's Fales Library. The library has called Nelson's videos a record of history that might otherwise be lost but also an expression of one amazing person's life and sensibilities. Nelson's friend, Fenton Bailey, eventually co-founded a production company called World of Wonder, which would go on to make a TV show with his and Nelson's friend, RuPaul, called RuPaul's Drag Race. In the 90s, Fenton also made a documentary about Nelson using Nelson's footage he says he wanted to make sure that what Nelson had done wouldn't be forgotten. In terms of personally looking back on it and seeing myself younger with, with hair, <laughs> it's okay. You know, it's not, 
Oh, I wish I was young again. I I kind of don't wish that for a moment, actually. <laughs> um, because I think that it's part of that sort of false glamour. It, in many ways, it was a it was a really tough, painful time. And um, it's really good to be here as opposed to there. And uh, and I suppose, you know, I suppose the other thing is, I often feel incredibly lucky and grateful. I mean, really, really loved, uh, I was going to say love Nelson, but, you know, he's a sort of, uh, you know what it is when, when some people you've known for an awful, you know, your parents, for example, or, you know, when someone really close to you passes away, they end up staying with you. And I do think that about Nelson. You know, he's sort of, there isn't a day goes by I don't think about him. Gosh, my neighborhood is still the best in town. Look how beautiful it is. The buildings over here, my house, the big square out front. It is all so beautiful around here. I guess I'll never have enough pictures of it. I should walk out this way and see what it looks like. This is Love is created by Lauren Spore and me. Nadia Wilson is our senior producer. Katie Bishop is our supervising producer. Our producers are Susanna Robertson, Jackie Sajiko, Libby Foster, Lily Clark, and Megan Kinane. Our technical director is Rob Byers, engineering by Russ Henry. Learn more about the show on our website, thisislovepodcast.com. And if you like the show, tell a friend or leave us a review. It means a lot. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at This Is Love Show. Special thanks to Kino Library for letting us share audio from Nelson Sullivan's videos. You can watch more of Nelson Sullivan's work on YouTube at 5 Ninth Avenue Project. This is Love is recorded in the studios of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC. We're part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. Discover more great shows at podcast.voxmedia.com. I'm Phoebe Judge, and this is Love. Support for this show comes from Nine West. Winter's finally coming to a close, but you might still fall the very ground beneath your feet with the hottest new trends from Nine West. Nothing beats the confidence the perfect little piece can give you. And their new collections of footwear, apparel, and accessories will let you take on the world in style. Use their Need It Now Edit, also known as the Nine Edit, to search effortlessly through trends like Western-style boots, loafers, and more. It's time to wear our confidence, ladies. We can't be contained because this spring at Nine West, we are infinite. Buy now and get 15% off with code PODCAST24.